Many times we hear the word revival and we think of it as this ominous thing, almost like a carrot in front of a, of a horse that you can never get to. And what we're going to look at this morning from the Word of God is both a prerequisite for revival and it's a result of re- revival. And that's, that's the issue of unity and that's what Jesus prays for each one of us as believers. So turn with me back to John chapter 17. This is our third and final week that we're going to be here in John 17. Uh, Looking at it the last two weeks as we've seen Christ's high priestly prayer, we've seen Him pray first for Himself and for all flesh. We've seen Him pray for the disciples, and now we're going to see Him pray for us. You remember it's split up into three different parts there, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is, is taking time to pray to the Father. And this is the only long-recorded prayer that we have of Jesus in the Scripture. He prays at other times. We see it in in His model prayer, as we would call it, uh, in Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 11. But in in those chapters, He's giving an example of different areas that the, the disciples should focus on. But He doesn't pray a vain repetition in this chapter. He prays to his Father, and he, 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 he says, Come, would you glorify your Son? Would you do to me what needs to be done so that all flesh can know you? And how do we know that? Look back at verse 3. He says, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only, one true, God, the, only, true, one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And that is his whole heartbeat, as we're going to see even here during the end of the chapter, Jesus, all throughout this prayer, is coming back to a lost and dying world and, and, and the need to reach them. So that's verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 19, as we looked at last week, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's, he's going to his Father and he's saying, Father, I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm going to be dying on a cross. These men are all going to flee. These, these men are all going to run away. I'm asking that you would keep them from evil and that you would set them apart for the work that, that you've called them to do, and that's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then here, at this last part of the chapter, Jesus isn't praying for himself or his disciples. Now we see Jesus turning his attention to a broader group of individuals. So let's look at verse 20 together. You found your place there in John 17. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that their word being the disciples' word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they might be that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, 
and will declare it. And the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. In this last part of John 17, Jesus is praying for believers. He's turning. He says, neither pray I for these alone. I'm not just praying for these 11, 12 disciples that you've entrusted to me, Father. I'm now praying for everyone who's going to be saved by their word. And you think that that doesn't just affect those physically that were saved in those few days of Pentecost, the 3,000. No, we, we have, God was uh, inspired those men to, to write the books of the Bible, to write the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that we would know the very words of Jesus Christ. And, and the Spirit has given that as a gift to us so that we would know God's heart for us. Now, by believer... I want to clarify what I mean because many people can take the word believer and misuse it. It's not just someone who believes that Jesus exists. Who is Christ praying for here? He's not just praying for someone who believes that Jesus is there. See, the devils do that. The, The demons believe that Jesus exists and they're not going to heaven. So someone who is a believer, as Christ would put it, is someone who has has followed the words of Christ, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Someone who has not just believed in Jesus, but has put their dependence on what Jesus did for them uh, on the cross and by uh, rising from the dead bodily, he is our only source of salvation. It's not by what we can do, as a good person, it's not by, by tithing, it's not by coming to church every week, it's not by any of those things. And I know that's, I'm preaching to the choir almost on that. You, you probably know that. But here, I want you to know firmly that Jesus is not praying for this ominous group of people. Jesus is praying for you right here, right now, seated in Shawano Baptist Church. This, this is a prayer that God prayed for us. And by God, I mean Jesus Christ who is God, who is deity. So Jesus' prayer for you as a believer, as we're going to see in this this short passage of Scripture, is that you would know Him by by knowing Him, and by knowing Him you would have unity and love amongst the body of Christ. We we need that, and we we sang about it, and and that's that's what is revival. When, When we're united together, and when we're loving one another, and they're loving us back, and, and we're in complete unity, that is revival in a church body. But let me put it this way, revival, unity, love, as we're going to see in this passage, focuses not on this relationship horizontally, but on our personal relationship with God. It will affect and create unity in the body. Let's pray. Father, would you help us each not to look on another man's things, Lord, but to look uh, right here at ourselves, Lord, this morning, Lord, would you uh, lift the window shades of our hearts and, Lord, show us where we need to be unified with you, where you want us to be uh, in you and you in us, Lord, even as you spoke in John 15, Lord, abiding in you. Or would you show us if there are any places where that's not happening, that's hindering our unity in the body of Christ. Lord, we love you this morning and trust you to work in Jesus' name. Amen. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus is praying for these 11 disciples, but now 
He, he has a heart to pray beyond them. He has a heart to pray beyond them to us who would come to faith by the testimony of the disciples he prayed for you. And by this prayer alone, there's two applications. Just, just the fact that he prays for us, uh, we, we can be, we, we, from this verse alone, verse 20, we can be sure that God is fully human and fully God, and we can be sure that Christ's prayers always triumph. I want you to look at that verse again. But for them also which shall believe on me. Jesus is praying for future believers. And at this, at this point, uh, those future believers would get saved as a result of the disciples uh, speaking to them. But when Jesus last spoke to the disciples, what did he tell them? He told them, you all are going to scatter. You all are going to flee. And so by this prayer alone, we know that Christ knows at that point when he was fully human, he was also fully God. He also knew what was going to happen. He knew that the disciples' actions of fleeing, their failure, their turning their backs on God, their denial of, of Jesus Christ would only be temporary and that God's work would go forward. And we also see that the prayers of Christ triumph. In, 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 they're going to triumph in, in, the, in the disciples' lives. And that can be a great assurance to us as we enter into this last portion of this chapter that whatever Christ is about to pray for us is also going to triumph, is also going to be made manifest in us. If the prayers of Christ, who, by the way, the Father always answers, are good enough for the disciples, they're good enough for us. So let's look firstly at this first part of the prayer in verse 21 that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. The first point that, that I want us to see this morning is that Jesus prays for all believers to have unity. Jesus wanted all believers to be unified. And we, we, we have to understand that the words unity and love in nowadays circle are thrown around. In, in, in the world today, the words unity and love are, are misused greatly. Uh, unity, when talking about a, a group of people, uh, talking about, say, like Black Lives Matter or different things like that, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warped form of unity because you're not uniting people, you're, div you're dividing people. Uh, when we say when, when per people say love is love, and they're talking about gay marriage, which goes totally against what the Bible teaches, that's not true love. What we're going to find out is, trust me, in this passage, we're going to find out what true love is. And Jesus is the, is, is the source of true love. So that, those, are, those are, 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 are things that we want to see God perfectly define what he means in this passage. And he perfectly defines it in verse 21. That they all may be one. How? How does that happen? As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Just as I, I can't perfectly preach this this morning, I can't perfectly do this justice, but if you can take what the Lord is saying, He's saying, just as I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, that's the kind of unity that should be right here in this church. That's the kind of, and it's not because it's focused on us. What does he say? That they, all may, they also may be one in us, in the Godhead. 
So there's a focus on the vertical relationship between us and God. And let me tell you, when your vertical relationship is right, when you're right with God, this will be right too. Your relationship with, with your fellow man, with your fellow believer will be right. So what, what is this unity that Jesus is praying for? Jesus is praying that we'll all be united in the same way the Father is in, is in union with the Son and the Son with the Father. When he says all there, that they all may be one, all, I want to I show us what this unity is not talking about. All does not mean all denominations. Okay, can I put it that way? It's not a unity that accepts all denominations that would falsely claim to be Christian. I think we understand that this morning, but I, I'm going to say it to speak truth to us this morning. Uh, when the Mormons say that they're the, they're the church of Jesus Christ, they're not the church of Jesus Christ. They would falsely teach many things against uh, what, what the Bible has to say. Uh, when, 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 uh, when you have other Christian and I use that term loosely, denominations that are teaching things that are not according to the Bible, they are not to be brought into unity with us on anything. Uh, so here he's praying for the unity of the body of Christ. When you're believing that you can get to heaven by praying for the dead or by purgatory, my friends, you're not saved. You're, there's a mistrust there. And so we can't be unified, even though we want to be. There, there's, there's, no, there's no unity there because there's no belief in Jesus Christ. Unity, and so we understand unity is not the unity of all denominations coming together. Hey, you forget this doctrine, I'll forget this belief, and we'll just come together for the gospel. That's not what unity is. Unity is also not just getting along with one another. Unity is not, as, as Christ describes it here, it's not just us getting along. Or, or tolerating one another. It, can, can you imagine if that's what it meant, then what is Christ saying here? Uh, that it's okay that the Father just gets along with the Son? Or do, do you think the Father, the Son just gets along with the Father? Or do you think they're in perfect union with one another? So if they're in perfect union with one another, then this is exactly what Christ is praying for us. That we would be in perfect union as, as, the, as the body of Christ in Him. Unity is dependent on being in a right vertical relationship with Jesus Christ in us. That, that they would be one, that this is the only possibility that we can ever be in unity together, full unity together, is if we're in Christ. And going back to what he's, he's preached already in John chapter uh, 15, uh, abide in me and I in you. And this is how we're going to bring forth much fruit. This is how the church is supposed to operate. And then the unity that is spoken of should be the same unity that the Father has with the Son. I've already mentioned that before. But the fact is that the same unity that the Godhead has is the same unity that he's praying for us here. Jesus prays that we will be united for what purpose? It's so that the world can see, uh, can know that the Father truly did send the Son. Look at verse 21 again. Look at the end of that verse. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And look down to verse 23. We'll come back in just a moment. But in verse 23, I in them and thou in me, 
that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. This is a remarkable statement because what Jesus Christ is saying here is he is, he is giving the world permission to judge his entire ministry based on the unity of the church. That's a bold statement. How my people are going to react, how my people are going to interact with one another, how my people are going to love each other, how my people are going to be in unity, that's world, that world is how you're going to be able to judge that the Father sent me. And, and, and really, that should be a huge conviction to all of us that we carry that mirror with us daily. How we are coming into unity with one another, how we are, how we are loving one another, we are mirroring the very ministry of Christ to a lost and dying world. How are you mirroring the, the, the ministry of Christ? Are you, are you giving forth a clear representation of who Jesus is by the unity that you have with your brothers and sisters? quote here from G. Campbell Morgan. He said, Jesus, even when he prays for our unity, he looks beyond our unity to the still unconverted world which stands in need of the witness generated by that unity. Our unity as, a, as the body of Christ is a witness to an, un, to an unsaved world that the Father truly did send the Son and that that Son truly did love them. And that God, God's word, when it says that it loves them and that, that Jesus died for our sins, that's not just a fairy tale. That's not just something made up. That is something that truly happened and that Jesus wants to save them. It's safe to say, safe to say that, the, that, that, that Jesus is all about the world hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in the fact that he wanted to, to save them from the penalty that they do deserve. And Jesus, I, he, he, he wants to free people from the wrath to come, but are we being that proper mirror that is, is showing them the love of Jesus Christ? Jesus is all about the gospel, and we should be too. So Jesus prays for us to have unity. Secondly, Jesus prays that believers should be marked by his glory. Look at verse 22 with me. He says, And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. And, and so this is still connected to unity, but that our unity as a body of believers should be marked by the glory of the Father. The, glory, the same glory. What, what, what glory is he talking about? Go back to verse 5. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. This is the same glory that Jesus, Jesus is saying the Father is sharing this glory with me. And remember, he said, all things that I have, I'm sharing with you. And so he's saying that our life should be marked by the glory of the Father. Can you think of men throughout the Bible that were marked by the glory of God? Moses. When he met with God, when he sought after God, when he met with God for those 40 days and 40 nights, and he came off that mountain, nobody could look at him because he was marked with with the glory of God. Now, the glory of God is not necessarily just a shining face, but our face should be radiant with, with the love and the unity of Jesus Christ. There are many ways that the Father gives us His glory and shares His glory with us. Think of the glory of His presence. 
In, in Psalm 1611, it says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At, that right, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Think about the glory of his word that he shares with us on a daily basis, or as often as we read it, unfortunately. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hebrews 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of, of the heart. God can, with his word, when you take it in, when you allow the glory of his, of his word to impact your life, he will separate between what he's thinking and what are the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And he will show you his ways are higher than your ways. And his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We have the glory of the Spirit. And the glory of the Spirit is, is that helper that we need. Romans 8.16 The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're a believer here this morning, you know that you are a child of his. Why? Because the Spirit of God tells you that you are. You know you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. If there was, if there was a day that you realized, I am a sinner, I'm on my way to hell, there's, there's nothing I can do about it. There's no good works that I can do to work my way to heaven. If you, at, at, at that point in time, realized that the wrath of God that you were going to face, Jesus Christ took that on the cross... And you can, by faith, accept that, penalty, that, that payment for your sin. And you called out to God and, and, you, and you accepted that payment. You, my friend, are a believer. And the Spirit this morning, as I'm speaking, is bearing witness with your spirit that you truly are a, a, a child of God. We have the glory of His power. And Christ's power working in every single one of our lives uh, one of the ways we see that is through prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And in prayer, many times we're seeking something that maybe even we don't know. And we need his wisdom and his leadership. And the Lord shows his glory to us through that. James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men, all men liberally and upbraideth not, it sh and it shall be given to him. These are the ways God makes his glory known in, a, in our life. And I haven't even scratched the surface. But when you go to God and you ask for his wisdom and his leadership, he's not just giving you a little bit. He's, he's going to give to you liberally and he's not going to scold you or, or, or make you feel bad that you're going to him for wisdom. And when I think of the word where he says he'll give it to all men liberally. Have, were you ever uh, in that position as a kid? Maybe your parents got ice cream and you asked for some ice cream and they gave you like a little bit, a small scoop or something like that. I think of it in that term, seeing that God gives to us liberally. That's the goodness of God. That's the glory of God. So kids, next time you're asking for ice cream, Dad, can you be liberal? <laughs> can, can you be liberal with the ice cream? Can you, can you get, and God wants to be liberal with us. He wants to, be, he wants to give us all of his wisdom. 
The Apostle Paul saw that the glory that marks a believer's life was an essential for gospel witness, even as Jesus does in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul states, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He was, he's giving to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God so that there can be a light shining out of darkness. There, there, can be, there can be that face of Jesus Christ that is clearly reflected to a lost and dying world. And Jesus is sharing his glory for one express purpose with us, not so that we can self-glorify ourselves, not so that we can be some amazing people, not so that we can stand in front of a group of uh, a ton of people uh, and, and be liked or, or uh, lifted up. It's so that we would see people come to him, see a lost and dying world come to him. But that's only going to help, uh, that's only going to happen if, if we focus on a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never be able to... to um, come into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ if you're not meeting with him. If you're not focusing on, on a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, once you do, you will see the glory of God on your life. You will see God's hand moving on your life, and you will grow in unity towards one another. The third thing that Jesus prays for here is he prays that believers would have unity that is grounded in love. Whose love? Let's look at verse 23. He says, I in them and thou in me, that they might, may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. This is probably my favorite verse of the entire chapter. Why? Because it tells us of an all-encompassing, all-knowing, unconditional love of the Father. That the Father's love is not, the Father's love for His Son isn't something different than His love for us. I want you to notice two things about this love. It's the Father's love that we are grounded in. It's, it's the Father's love that, that we are, that the reason that we can go to a lost and dying world is because He loved us enough to send His Son to die for us. But the love that He prays with towards us is the same love, look, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Who's praying that? It's Jesus. And He knows all things. And He's saying, get it this morning that the Father loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. That's powerful. The, the, there's not some separate love that he packages for Christians and sets over here. And there's, there's not some separate love that, that, that uh, is conditional, that, that he has reserved for us. No, Jesus, as he's praying, he's saying, the same love that you have for me, God, is the same love that you're going to love them with. And I know that. Ephesians chapter 3. Why don't we turn there? I know I'll have you flip back and forth, but turn to Ephesians chapter 3. 
And I want us to see a couple things about this love that Jesus loves us with. Because this is going to be, this is how people are going to know that you are disciples of His. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. That He would grant you according to the riches of His, say it with me, glory. Okay. Marked by glory. Here we go. To be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, in your innermost being, the places where people can't see, the places where you need to be strengthened by the Spirit of God, that only the Spirit of God can do. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do you know something that passes knowledge? Have you ever thought about that? And yet he says we can know it. He says that we can know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Is to be rooted and grounded in the love, being secure in the fact that the Father loves me and I accept His love just as much as He loves the Son. I accept His love. And God wants us again to shed forth His glory in our lives by love. He dwells in us and we take hold of the riches that we have in Him when we are strengthened by His love in the inner man. Christ wants us not to just be aware of his love, but he wants us to, that to be the central, the, the thing that, that holds us to the Father. The, the, his love is, is the one that, that, that's grounding us. Um, just uh, recently, uh, we had some, uh, a man do some work in our yard, and uh, there was an oak tree that was growing right next to our foundation. And uh, it, it was probably about yay high, but they say that you know those things, the, the, the roots are double the size of what it is above ground, or just as, just as tall as it is above ground, it is below ground. And the root system, I, I, I tried digging it out with a shovel, didn't work. And so finally the man said, well, I can just hook my chain up to that and we can just yank that out. And uh, so he hooked the chain up and and uh, hooked his truck up to it, and finally we were able to get it out, but the roots were going all the way out to the front, uh, the middle of our front yard. And so I, I was pretty amazed at, at the, the, but that, that tree was grounded. It was rooted. And that's the same picture that Jesus wants us to get in our life, is we need to be so immovable. The love that, that binds us to our Savior is the same love that should bind us to one another, and that should be an immovable love, something that's rooted and grounded in, in Jesus Christ. Again, can I go back to the, to the beginning of the message when I mentioned that this kind of love, this kind of unity, it's a prerequisite for revival? If we're not experiencing that kind of relationship with our Savior, how are we expecting to see revival? When we sing, do you really want revival? It's, all, it's, it's a prerequisite, but it's also a result of, of revival. When, when God works in our heart, when God revives us as believers, we're going to see that unity and love amongst the body. <clears throat> so, 
This is a picture of how Jesus wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Third thing that Jesus prays for here uh, is in verse 24. He says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, and they, that they might behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Christ here, he says, he, uh, that, that word that he says at the beginning, he says, Father, I will. I desire strongly. I, I, I long for the body of Christ to be with me. You know, we, uh, when, when you're about to get married to someone, we have a, a newlywed couple here in the front. When, when you are about to get married, you long to be with that person for life. You long to be with them. And that's the same way Christ feels about the, about the bride of, of Christ. He longs to be with us. He says, I want I, I, th- those whom, whom you've given me, I want them to be where I am that they might behold my glory. I don't know what it is about the glory of God, but there must be something pretty special about it. The vast glory that we, we don't know, but this is something... This is, this is something that Christ prayed over 2,000 years ago, and he's still praying today. He, if he longed that much back then to have us be together with him, today he must be longing even more. I, I don't know. I, I, all I know is, is what Christ has put for us here in Scripture. He was eager to be with, with his bride, the bride of Christ. That's how much Jesus wants to be with us. And then Jesus ends his prayer in a triumphant way. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world hath not, hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Here at the end of his prayer, Jesus is praying. He's, again, focused on the character of God. God is righteous. And he knows that that righteousness is what we need. That righteousness is, 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 is what we're going to need for salvation. Oh, righteous Father. And again, he's pleading for the world to know him. The world hath not known thee. I wonder when you pray as an individual are you praying according to the example of Christ is your mind focused on the character of your God and on a lost and dying world or is there some disconnect between the two because if there is a disconnect between the two it's right here and it's probably when it comes to our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ because if this is right, this is going to be right. We're going to have a full, full, full-length mirror that's clean, that's a clear representation of Jesus Christ. All throughout this prayer, especially here at the end, do you realize again what Jesus is doing? He's saying, world that, you, that don't know me, I am giving you a church, the true church, the true believers of the living God to be an example to you so that you can judge them 
you can judge my ministry based on their unity and their love for one another. How, how, is, how is your love towards one another? Is it just something that looks like just getting along? Or is it something that, that, that Jesus Christ would be worthy of? He states here that he has declared the Father's name and will declare it. That was the only thing left for Jesus to do, by the way. He had declared the name of God in, his, in preaching. He had declared the name of God in his miracles. And he would declare the name of God one last time, and that was in his death. He would declare it on the cross. And, and that, by that, he, he would pay the wrath that was deserved for our sin before God and, and give the forgiveness that's provided through, through only the Son, Jesus Christ. Why? That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. That is the longing of our Savior. So you as a believer can experience that, that strengthening and indwelling love of Jesus Christ. You can be rooted and grounded in love. And when that's the case, that, that there's going to be a proper vertical relationship with God. Are you allowing that, that, that relationship with God to take place in your life? And if not, would you start today? Would you start to focus on this? And when you do, your unity this way will be right on.